Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What the fuck's the bulls? What the fucking hams? Yeah, all right, all right. How are you? It's Mark Marin. This is WTF. I'm, uh, I'm out here in the garage wearing a toque, wearing a hat. You know, when that, uh, when that, uh, that old uh, thermometer drops below uh, 70 out here in Los Angeles, it's time to get the, uh, the hats out. Chilly. I'm I'm a East Coast person at heart, or at least a seasonal person at heart, and and uh, you know I I miss layering up, so I'll look for any opportunity to get layered up. That's just the reality of the situation. Uh, Halloween not uh, not not a successful night for me. Laid low, hung out with a friend, and uh, you know bought some candy as I always do. I'll buy a bag of candy. I'll leave that light on, but no one's coming up my hill. You know, I don't know if it's, I imagine the kids can handle it, but maybe the parents are like, I don't need that much exercise. I don't know. I, I dressed up again, uh, you know, third year in the row for Halloween. I dressed up as the uh, cranky guy in a robe. Yeah, that was me. Cranky guy in a robe. Uh, I, I think that somebody tweeted that uh, there's no shame in the uh, the crotchety wizard uh, costume. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I could rationalize it that far. Here's the problem with no one coming to get the candy, because then you know what? It's like, fuck those kids. They don't come get the candy. Who's got the candy? I got the candy. On some level, that's a win, I guess, but now I got a bag of candy. I got the mixed bag with the Milky Ways, the Snickers, and uh, the Twix, and the Milky Way only caramel. Where the fuck did that candy come from? I, I you know, Halloween comes along, and then I got, I don't, I don't know about these candies these kids are eating now. It's like the the old sober guy. I wasn't around for uh, for ice. I wasn't around for ecstasy. You know, I missed out on oxys. You know, sometimes I wonder what it would have been like if I could only have had an oxy, but I've been sober too long. I'm missing out on all the good candies. Milky Way, only caramel. Jesus. That might as well be oxy. Yeah, so I had nine of those. A couple of Twix bars. This morning... Uh, I woke up with the uh, candy wrappers in my bed. So, uh, yeah, I'm in trouble. So I'm in trouble, man. It's a slippery slope to oxys. Dr. Drew is my guest today. I talked to Dr. Drew about medication and about drugs a bit. I talked to Dr. Drew about a lot of stuff. I know some of you have uh, you know, mixed feelings about, uh, about Dr. Drew, 
But uh, I think we had a good conversation. And you know what? I generally need a doctor. So that worked out. But uh, I think it was thorough. And I think, uh, you know, whether you like him or you don't like him, you're going to get a sense of uh, who Dr. Drew Pinsky is. I know I did. And uh, I was happy to talk to him. So that's coming up in a second. Is that all right with you? Is that all right with you? Huh? Is it? Last night I went and saw the uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band with Gary Clark Jr. at the Greek. I don't go to concerts, but lately I've been offered to go. Would you like to come see uh, these people? Yes, I would. Now, I met Derek Trucks and Susan Tedeschi at uh, at Conan briefly, and they gave me the record. I know they're they're brilliant musicians. Every respected guitar player I ever talked to, you know, is like, Derek's the dude. And I don't know if I had a full sense of what he is or how he plays or where it comes from, but, man, that was one of the best shows i ever seen in my life. Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of fucking genius? I mean, to, like, to listen to a guy play guitar like you've never heard it played before. I, I don't remember ever having that feeling. Not in recent memory. You know, when I saw Van Halen when I was, uh, you know, in, in high school, I was, I was wasted and I threw up. I don't think I really appreciated it. But this is different, man. I mean, look, you know, I was sort of a blues head. You know, slide guitar is not unfamiliar to me. But to hear somebody play it with a type of virtuosity where they take what you know and they just turn it inside out and make it into something that you've never heard before. I mean, it's a slide, man. But he was doing this Indian style stuff and this like the, his groove and his sense of timing and phrasing is completely original. I couldn't fucking deal. I mean, it's like because I'm I'm not a yeah, I am judgmental, but, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm a little cynical or maybe a little like it's not as easy for things to get through if they aren't completely manipulative with me or, you know, in my brain somehow just sort of like to box things or categorize it. But, you know, he right when he started playing. I was like, where is this coming from? Do you know what a great feeling that is? And all of them were great. The horns were great. She's amazing. Her singing is amazing. She's a great guitar player. The keyboard guy was great. Gary Clark uh, Jr. before him was awesome. This is weird because it's actually uh, probably would have been a better intro for Thursday. <laughs> because Jimmy Vivino, the uh, the leader of the uh, basic cable band on Conan O'Brien, also a, a, a virtuoso and... Uh, a behind-the-guy guy. And I mean that, you know, he's like, he's a back guy. He's a background guy. He's a, you know, he's a career musician. And he's fucking great. He's going to be on Thursday. So I guess that that's a good setup for that show. But I'm going to leave it in this show as a tease, as they call it. A tease. So this article came out in Wired. Um, I'm going to make sure I credit it properly. I think it was uh, by this guy, Nick Stockton. Just about how cats feel about us. You are a huge, unpredictable ape, he says. Here, here's the deal. It's like I've been getting a lot of feedback from, from vets and from, uh, and from uh, you people uh, about Monkey's uh, issue with his uh, bladder and the possibility of crystals and chronic inflammation. And, and uh, this happens to male cats, so I bought a fountain that they still don't know what to do with. I'm just, I'm seeing the fountain now as a, a meditative backdrop for me when I'm working in the kitchen. The trickling of water is nice for me. I'm going to leave it there. Maybe they'll come around to it. They still can't seem to wrap their brain around moving water, but whatever. 
the deal is, is that this article basically says that, look, you know, your cat is a cat and you're just this big, you know, thing in its in its environment that that causes them tremendous amount of stress with your needs and your moods and your attitudes and that was told that that perhaps this urinary thing urinary thing could be stressed but this article sort of seals it you know just that you know there's a lot of things your cats don't like cats are you know they don't like their tummies rubbed you know you think that they do but they don't they're just laying on their back because they feel comfortable with you they don't want you to grab their stomach i don't know that you know, my moods affect monkey. I, you know, my cats are constantly tweaked out, and I've talked about this before, and this is not unlike anybody else who's in my life, you know, on a regular basis. Eventually, they, 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 I, everybody in my life who gets close to me has some sort of, eventually gets into some kind of, you know, skittish state. Like, oh, what's, what's going to happen? What's, what's, what's he going to get mad about? It's a little better, I think, but I think I'm going to have to learn a lesson here from this. I'm going to have to learn a lesson about cats and about people and about keeping my uh just relax i'm relaxing right now i'm relaxing so dr drew pinsky i'm gonna talk to him a little bit about health i'm gonna talk to him about his uh his place in the cultural universe i'm gonna talk to him about you know being who he is dr drew pulls out a lot of different attitudes i mean i some people i I mentioned dr drew they're like i love that guy other people are like oh fucking that guy so i hope you enjoy this this interview i did with him I did. That's it. Let's talk to Dr. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts drew you're a pro at this you know the story you've done the radio done radio <laughs> look at you even set yourself up at the mic properly <laughs> dr drew pinsky now look i'm going to start off by saying that i've got some problems i'd like to speak to you as an internist fair enough let's do it yeah okay so if i come in here uh, this... i love practicing that muscle it's good yeah, I mean, that's what you started with, that's right? Absolutely. I've practiced medicine for over 30 years. But like when you got into it, it was, yeah, an internist is, is most general practitioners are internists. These days, yeah. My, right. my dad was a family practitioner. Which and, is different? Which is a different training. They still do surgery and they do pediatrics and they do really? deliveries and stuff like that. They used to. Minor surgery. Mm-hmm. Or they, no, they'll assist in surgery, in major surgery. But, I, 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 got, I got zero surgical skills. Zero. But that's I'm a not whole, interested. But that's all another few years of college, right? That's the, family practice? Well, no, 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 I mean surgery. It's just different. It's a different path. Oh, you focus. Yeah. So my thing is cardiology, nephrology, neurology, pulmonology. We, we do all those rotations, and then we just stop at a certain point and don't go on into a subspecialty like cardiology, something like right, that. Right, right, right. And I, I couldn't give up all the other shit. I was too into it. And then I ended up running a department of medicine in a psychiatric hospital, 
and that started to fascinate me. And so I sort of became an expert on the interface of medicine and mind. So, okay, and so as, a, as an internist, you were like the, the on-site medical doctor. I, exactly. So every, everyone that came in needed a medical clearance. Sure. Because you'd be shocked how often medical problems present with psychiatric symptoms. I, I'm, I'm the king of that. It's, <laughs> no, I don't mean somatic symptoms. I mean that literally the depression or the psychosis or the altered mental status is actually because of a medical problem. Really? Yeah, and it's like not what? psychiatric. You name it. If you look at the, the manual for psychiatric diagnoses, at the bottom of every set of criteria, it says, provided these criteria apply, provided that you've ruled out any medical problem that could cause this. That's tricky, though, person's isn't it? not on drugs, right. and they're not in withdrawal. Right. Because those three things can masquerade as anything. No, right. But but yeah. you're saying that they could come in, and, and some of their underlying issues that they were medicating, even, initially, were physical issues. That's an even more complex thing. Yes, true. All right, All right let's get to me real quick. Right, so right, I so went it's... to an uh, I went to a neurologist. Here are my symptoms. Now right. I'll give you. A, let me give you my basic profile. Right. Uh, I've been sober almost fifteen years. Age uh, fifty. Meds? Uh, no meds, except for a compulsive uh, use of nicotine lozenges. Got it. And massive amounts of coffee. Massive. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So my my symptoms are this. Uh, I've been having sort of weird numbness and tingling in my hands and uh -huh. feet that now has manifested itself as almost like pain in the morning. I wake up as if I've been clapping my hands. Bo both hands and both feet or yes. just, just hands? Yes, right. Hands and feet. Hands and feet. Okay, so now I just got a physical. My cholesterol is a little high, but all the other vitals are good. Okay. A heartbeat is good. Previous medical Everything, problems? No previous medical problems. Surgeries? Uh, had basal cell removed, had an appendectomy when I was 11. Got it. So, so this is going on. Now, I've been in and out of uh, anxiety symptoms. Okay. I've had tinglies just before. Just do something real quick. What? Anything around your mouth at all? No. Okay. Vision or change or anything like that? Uh, Does this do anything to you? Um, oh, yeah. It sends a little thing down my middle there finger. There you go. That's all right. It. That's, that's good, though. That's your diagnosis. Yeah. What? What is my diagnosis? Well, keep going. All right. So I go to- uh, that, That's at least part of your diagnosis. Now, here's the other thing. Yeah. Now, this started happening. Like I started, my ears started popping. I started feeling a little pressure in my head. So okay. I got hung up on that. So okay. I'm thinking brain tumor, okay. like on my nervous thing, got it. everything, because I connect. I don't know anything about it. So yeah, I yeah. go to a neurologist finally, because well, I know like, my Well, let computer. me see what I can do before I get the neuro neurological opinion, okay? Sure. Okay. So <laughs> you have what's called a positive Tunnel sign, which is consistent with carpal tunnel syndrome. No, he you, said that. Hold on. Hold on. It, right. it, hold on. So you have that. I mean, but a lot of people have that. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. What concerns me is that the it should be limited to your hands if right. you had just carpal and th and this business shaking yeah. the hands that's classic carpal tunnel syndromes the ache the the aches the pain and the shaking and clapping I don't do that but it just feels like like that sensation okay. right now I understand okay. all right uh, but it shouldn't include your feet I mean there's nothing that should go on your feet so it makes me think ooh with positive tunnels feet and hands. How's your thyroid? Have you had any thyroid check? No, I not, did not have a thyroid check. Because because hypothyroidism can cause nerve nerve issues like that thickening of the wow. of the of the sheaths here and in your feet at the same time. So you want to make sure you're not hypothyroid. I'm looking at your thyroid. I don't see a goiter or anything. And so so okay, so that's one thing to rule out, hypothyroidism. So that might be hypothyroidism. It's just something to rule out. But just, who would diagnose that? It's so easy. A neurologist. Just, just get a TSH. No, neurologist should think of that. Should be thinking of that. This was an old guy. He looked like he'd been doing neurology for a while. He okay, did my reflexes. He checked everything. He said, no neuropathy, no neuropathy. Okay. But when I told him about the ears popping, yeah. he said, let's get an MRI. Right. Got the MRI. So, it's hard to see a neurologist without getting an MRI of the brain. Because right. anything at all can present in there. So, right. So I get, yeah. I got the MRI with the with and without the injection Contrast. of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, not, and uh, he said, yeah, yeah, normal uh, brain for a guy my age, he said, Ooh. which I thought was an insult. <laughs> I would too. <laughs>
I hate that shit. I hate it. Because we have shrinking brains as we age. Yeah, so well, he's I, saying that there's a normal amount of shrinkage. Yeah, I which, know. I'm sorry. I, that would drive me insane. Well, what? How's your brain? I'm sure there's a little shrinkage. I was yeah, Sonny, I've been obsessing about that last couple of days. I've been re- I, I uh, chronically listen to iTunes lectures. Yeah. iTunes U. Yeah. And uh, I listen to a lot of medical and psychiatric and psychology right. and, and philosophy and history and stuff too. Yeah, yeah. But lately I've been re- listening to you know how to rule out dementias and minimal cognitive change and, and what's normal change with age. I hate that. So I you're mean, obsessive. Oh yeah, completely. Uh, so you're saying I might have hyperthyroid. That's why. That's one thing to rule out. Yeah, my, but thyroid. it's not. Uh, it's then not... the physical they should have done a TSH as part of your thing. What? They do, should have done a thyroid stimulating hormone as part of your physical. Back. You said you had a physical. Yeah, yeah. maybe they did. Maybe but, they did. So check that. Check right, that. So if that's normal, then what is it? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it's one of them things. But you, you have you have you have a little carpal tunnel. You do. I mean, I don't care what he says. You well, have well, a no, bit. I play I play guitar and yeah. I you, know, you have a little carpal tunnel. Why would it include your feet and stuff? I don't know. But, you know. Yeah, I don't. I you don't can get either. a tarsal. But what tunnel about the too. what about the ear thing? That's the anxiety. What? That's nothing. Are you serious? You fly a lot? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Come on, there's got to be something wrong, Drew. Hey, dude, I just went what? through prostate cancer this year. You I, had it? Uh, yeah, I had a big operation six months, eight, almost a year ago. How much did they take out? Everything. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you still feel when you, you know, yeah, come? Yeah, 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 but nothing comes out. It's, right, it's, but that's it? That's the only- uh, That's the only symptom. Everything else normal. You can feel and it just, it, it still provides com- the same amount of relief and excitement? normal. Everything's normal. But but I'll tell you what, uh, I was in, it's a case in point, you know? Yeah. Guys our age need to get PSAs, need to get the visual rectal exam. Yeah. You need to do it. Yeah. I, I, I um, you know, my story is I wasn't even, uh, I got had an illness. I had like a f- severe- I, I I got H1N1 back when that was going around. The flu? Yeah, knocked the shit out of me. And my wife's like, you got sicker than you should have. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong really? with you. Really? She like, said that? She yeah. a doctor? And I, no. Oh. And I'm I'm like, oh, God. I had an infectious disease guy treat me. I always call my friends to, you know, That's a great thing about being a doctor. I think that's why people are being, uh, why people are doctors. You grew up with that. It's yeah, a unique, yeah. I, my dad was a doctor too. It's a unique upbringing. What kind of doctor was he? Orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Kicks your ass. There's a, yeah, yeah. He's better life than an internist. <laughs> internist right now, you, it's almost impossible to be an internist right now. At why? Because there's that dime a dozen, no work? N- no, too much work. And we're being squeezed to the point where you can't afford to run your practice. Because of insurance because and of HMOs? Because insurance and HMOs. And that was his big thing. thing. Yeah, it's bad. And, uh, and you can't practice the kind of medicine you want. No. Because that's, been, that's been a long time. But you can't literally can't practice medicine, Because period. you're limited by uh, the amount of tests you can do, how much, how, how quickly and, they want people out. Yeah, and what you get reimbursed. I mean, they, everything's held constant, and you can't- Everyone is struggling. All right, so you're sicker than you should be on this. Page so I got blue. sick, and she says, "She goes, oh, so you got to need a physical." I'm like, "Dude, I'm an internist. Relax. I got, I got it covered. I just it's the best infection. These guys yeah. just treated me. Get a physical." I went in. My PSA had gone from like 1.8 to four. Still normal, right? And I'm like, and my guy is a friend of mine. Goes, "Oh, we got to see a urologist." I'm like, "No, oh, come on. Just because yeah. I'm a yeah. doctor, you're nervous. See the urologist." The urologist goes, uh, something doesn't feel right, something to look like. Let's it's probably prostatitis. Let's treat you for prostatitis. I got treated for like Had you a had month. that before? Yeah. Get treated that, that's fun too, huh? I had and, that before. Isn't yeah. that fun? Yeah. And uh, I got treated for a month and they say, like, still up, gotta do an ultrasound. Gotta mm-hmm. do a biopsy. Mm-hmm. Biopsy cancer. God damn. God damn. But there was a great case in point with three people using their instincts, which which is really an important point that's left out of medicine entirely now, which is these guys, you know, I, by the book, I should have not been diagnosed. I should have not been biopsied. I should have not even gone to see the doctor in the first place. Uh-huh. But three people had good instincts that something was up. Then I got followed for th- two or three years with r- serial biopsies because it was low grade and you can watch for a while. It's not for three years. Two you, years. You two were years. you had the cancer. Yeah, and you were going to just manage it. Just watch it. Yeah. Why would you do that? 
You're not the, as reactionary as you should be as a doctor. 30% yeah. of the time it gets better, 30% of the time it stays the same. Re- oh, I see. It's low grade. It's possible. We don't really know what to do with the guys like me, low grade prostate. So you, you didn't find cancer cells. Oh, yeah. There was cancer, but, but low grade. But sometimes that goes away? Sometimes it progresses, yeah. It, goes, it gets better. But you watch it. And the point was, it kind of the volume was more than it should be. So yeah. again, another instinct. My oh. guy was following me. Went, I think we got to go. Just take it out. And lo and behold, there was a piece heading for Mecca. There was a little tributary going out towards the. You capsule. saw that when he got out. Mm-hmm. Want to take out? It's, it's a big operation. It's a big deal. It's, <laughs> it, it laid me up for months. Oh God. Yeah, it's well, a big deal. I, yeah, I would imagine. But, it, wear but a diaper, you know, right? Well, no. I went back to work in Not a week. Not now, but no. I mean, when you well, had... you were you have a catheter for a week. Ugh. Good times. Yeah. All right. So yeah. let's uh, going back to. So this, you're good. I feel all right. What yeah. prostate wise? Yeah. Yeah. I I think I'm fine. You're good always. But yeah. you know, coming from a medical family, you're more prone to somatizing. That, yeah. That's true. That's of a course fact. it is. How yeah. else are you going to get your dad to pay attention to you? Well, there, there's a great, there's a great, there was something going on around Facebook, like 11 yeah. things that only family members of doctors know. Yeah. And one of them was, you know, it, it, no matter, you can't get their attention no matter how sick you are. Everything's nothing. And except, Everything's nothing, but ex- they'll tell you that. Except when you do get their attention, it's hor- it's cancer. You right. know what I mean? We, we freak. I do exactly that with my kids. So, yeah. I, I go, it's blah, 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 nothing, don't worry about it. And then when it gets into my consciousness, I'm like, or oh. Or if they keep pushing. Yeah, I'm like, oh crap, oh crap, it could what, be cancer, what, it could yeah, be this, it could be that. Why, why, uh, why am I trivializing this? <laughs> but you grew up right here? Pasadena. That's where you grew up? Yeah. Down the street? Not far. And your I dad was a, what kind of doctor? Family practice. So so what What does that mean? So when you're you're older than me, so he's probably making house calls. He probably yeah, yeah. what, an intimate practice? Yeah. Like uh, just people from the neighborhood. Yeah. He was everybody's doctor. Yeah, yeah. Pediatrics as well? He early did that. Yeah, then he stopped that later. And your mom was, and he was a Jew? Yeah. And your mom from where? Philadelphia. Not a Jew? Not a Jew. Yeah, but you're not a Jew. Are you Jew? I am identify a little bit. I wasn't I'm not a good Jew for sure. Uh my daughter is sort of getting into it. She went on the the uh the she thing, went to Israel? thing to Israel, yeah. Yeah, oh really? It was very, very important for her. So yeah. your your family identifies as Jewish. I, I was in Is your wife Jewish? No. But she, kind of. We we can't figure it out. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's all what kinds of because you do, they're they're people that uh, sort of intermingle and then forsake things, you know, formally yeah. along the way. And then World War. She's Czech, big, you know, way Czech. Uh-huh. And there was lots of Nazi and communist and problems that way <laughs> so that they couldn't practice. Some relatives, in yeah. order to get out of problems, uh, yes, may have had a sex with a <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> or or it's for, but but I went to Saturday school till I was in third grade. Okay. Yeah. But so, uh, I, so I had extended family. He was very, very Jewish. So you grew up, you know, with money over there in Pasadena. Yeah. In a craftsman? No. Regular sort of modern, house? modern. Thing. How many brothers and sisters do you One have? One sister. And what does she do? She is a mom. She married a doctor? No, she married a commercial real estate guy. Oh, all right. Yeah. Interesting. Everyone's getting out. Yeah. <laughs> Medicine? I mean, fleeing. My kids aren't going to do it. My dad I, doesn't practice anymore. Yeah. But because it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Well, like what you were just talking about, the idea that you were able just because of who you are to have access to three doctors to come up with an opinion that saved your life yeah. is not everyone's uh, experience. No, no. And it becomes harder and harder with the way the insurance uh, companies and HMOs- Well, you're not going to see doctors. You're going to see something called physician extenders. I was on CNN the other day, and I said that, and Anderson Cooper goes, what? He was like, in sense, physician extenders? I go, yeah, you're going to see physician's assistants and nurse practitioners, because A, there aren't going to be enough internists to go around to meet all this, and B, they, they can't- they can't run a practice. But do you think that maybe, you know, like if you look at the English model, that there was obviously 
part of the reason you got into medicine was to make a good living. I mean, that was the sort of idea, like when my dad's generation was coming up, you know, be a doctor. And it was not always because, because so you can help people. No, like they could a reliably teacher. make a living. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I, I think that the adjustment that maybe physicians have to make now is that you're more of a civil servant Absolutely. Uh, than you are a, well, some, somebody. Well, what's, what's a little unfair, though, is that there's still guys within medicine making ridiculous, absurd amounts of money. Especially. Absurd. And then there are people struggling, trying to make a living, can barely make a living. Well, I was on an airplane. I flew first class because somebody uh, you, know, you know, flew me out somewhere. And I was over listening. I was overhearing a conversation of this older couple that lives in Malibu. And apparently what I gleaned was that the guy, and they were talking about houses in New York, a house in Spain or whatever. Yeah. But what I gleaned was that the, this guy was a plastic surgeon right. who there did Michael go. Jackson's first nose. <laughs> <laughs> that he was, he was, he made sure to qualify it. The first nose I <laughs> the did. Good the, yeah, good the good one. Yeah, the good nose. But isn't it bizarre? I think I find it bizarre that people will pay those sums of money for cosmetic procedures, but things that actually enhance their health, I want that, I want that free. Yeah, it's, I, it's bizarre. I I don't know. I it, 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 like I've seen my father's plight, and that like you know he I thought he was being paranoid. He felt like he was being you know run out of town and limited by the HMO stipulations on how to treat. He didn't feel like he could treat people the well, way. Well, doctors made too to much them. money for a long time. That's for sure. Right. You know, it was too it was too much. It was yeah. too fat. That that generation it was like they spoiled it for everybody. Well, else. so who are these physicians that you see are making a lot of money? The specialists. The, who do well, really, the people that have cash businesses, the plastic surgeons. But you can still like have that. a cash business. Arguably, you do have a cash business in different areas. No, I, yeah, well, I don't do, I, I, I never made much at all practicing medicine, really never. But why'd you get into it? You know, I had to ask myself along the way, I mean, I, I was good at it, I always thought I would do it. Did as, you do it because your dad did it? Yeah, I think that's where I started, that's where I started. And in, in college, I ran away from it for a while, like, no, no, no not me, I'm doing music, I'm doing this, became a hipster for about a year and a half. In undergrad? Yeah. What kind of, what'd you do in music? I sang opera. Do you still sing opera? I occasionally. You I, sang I like opera. It. That's not hipster. That's bizarre. Well, back then, even then, how was opera ever hipster? No one can understand it. You sing in Italian. Yeah, that was your passion. Yeah, for a minute. For you know, what are you a tenor or a soprano? Ba- baritone. A baritone tenor. So you studied opera. Oh yeah, for years and years. For years and years. Yeah. Now that's I did that's it as an avocation for a long time af- afterwards. It was it was. It's exciting for me. What do you mean an avocation? I mean, I did it while I was going to medical school and residency and stuff, too. I kept doing it. What do you mean you did it? It's not like you can moonlight as an opera singer. No, no, I didn't perform. I just had a lesson and a coach. I just do it. I just do it. But it's like one of those odd musical sort of passions where it's not like, I'm just going to get together with a couple guys. We rented a space. Not really. Not really. If you're you're a singer, you get tired of everything else pretty quick. Right. You start singing classical very, very quickly. You're just like, all right, that's too easy. So what would you do? Put on uh, the music and just sit uh, sit at home and do it? Uh, Yeah. Or or get a pianist or or practice in my car or just do scales or whatever. You yeah. do scales? Do you do it now? No. You don't do it no, anymore. My son's a, a singer and a pianist and stuff. He's an a, opera singer? Yeah, he does it. Yeah. I'm not sure that's what he's gonna do, but he does he's formally trained. Do you go to the LA opera? Occasionally. I'm not I'm not like deep in it. It was just sort of a fun well, thing. Anybody who decides See? to sing opera is deep in it. Uh yes. you sing anything. What? You could sing anything. No, no, I can't. I'm no, not but, I'm a but, terrible musician. But That's I mean, the other gotta, thing. You've got to love opera on some level. Uh, on, I, I like performing it more than watching it. Oh. You know, I have a like, hard time with it. Uh, I can understand that. I mean, I went to a couple down yeah. there. In, in easy no, ones. A, a, right. I would say even I like Rigoletto and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I like spaghetti and meatballs. The thing I love about opera is that like, you know, the, you've got your primary players and then there's like at least 50 people sitting for the last scene. Like, what do those guys do during the day? Like, I, I know. all of a sudden out of nowhere, I, like- 
The stage is filled and, with and these people. These are highly trained professionals right, too. I wondered that too. Yeah, <laughs> they're just sitting back there. Yeah. How do they make a living? I know my, my son's had to address all that. He's like, I don't see this. I don't, I don't know how it works. I, they, they teach, I guess. They teach waiting around they... for the last song. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> it is crazy. I guess at one time they were part of a company and they were sort sure. of supported that way. All right, but, so you do opera. And yeah, yeah. Just... So I ran away. I went back to it, and uh, and then when I started medical school, it was like, wow, I love this. I really loved it. But I, was I, there any part of it where your dad was like, "Come on, what are you going to do?" Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You got along all right with that guy? N- yeah, uh, yeah. But that that was awful. You know that. Pre- pre- I don't try not to apply. I try not to directly apply pressure. But you to my got kid. pressure. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, but I, but well, once I sort of made it my own, I really went back hard and loved it. And um, and as I went along, you know, like during your clinical rotations, I was like, I'll be a neurosurgeon. I'll be a gynecologist. I, every, every rotation, I was like, I love this. I love this. I love this. And then my last rotation, uh, third year, was in medicine. I went, oh, shit. Of course. That's why I'm doing this. That's why. I, mean. I just want to be a doctor. I, just be, I don't want to be a big superstar. I don't want to be a surgeon. just want to be a doctor. So the specialist enables you to engage your brain in a different way. I mean, what you did was was broader. Broader. And you can sort of like, you know, kind of- I, I, I love humans. Troubleshoot. No, no. I, you got to understand something. I really like humans. I, I love the human experience. I love all aspects of it. And I had trouble letting go of things that I understood better now. And and instead of letting go, I sort of expanded over into the psychiatric side, which was like the interface of of all these things. You know, all of the 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 family, the relationships, the the brain. Which I I studied brain a lot in college, and that sort of was a natural place for me. Because uh, of troubles with your own brain, Did uh, you, what, what, were you? Like, I was in therapy for a long, long time. In classic 10 years, therapy years. with a psychiatrist. Oh, uh, no, she was a she was a psychologist when you she, were younger. I finished. Uh, my son had brain surgery when he was one. And my anxiety disorder got so profound after that. So it was anxiety again, my wife issue. sent me again. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I went for 11 years. As it was fantastic. About anxiety. About anxiety. It, it was about accessing affect and regulating it, if that makes sense. But so tracking the, source of, the, connect- tracking the source of your panic. No, no. The panic was all, was all epiphenomenon, as far as I'm concerned. What does concerned. that mean? Reasonable? No. Uh, just symptoms of something unrelated. It, and and I'm. This is sort of how I got involved in addiction and stuff too, because I think that's people really need this kind of stuff deeply. And, right. And, uh, Do you go in there? You're anxious. Your kid had anxious, brain surgery. anxious, 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 and, full of and, dread. Uh, everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anxiety is about the only feeling I had for many years. Oh. Yeah. And uh, finally, she was like realizing that I had sort of called. I think I might have hit. She would never like. She had careful boundaries, so she never really told me. But I think I had kind of an alexithymia where I couldn't access and name feelings very well. And so, by what's that called? Alexithymia. And so, by that's a psychological condition, not a. It's not a medical problem, right? I mean, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but it created a a psychiatric syndrome, panic and anxiety. Yeah. Right. And so, by sitting, by learning to sit with another person. And, and deeply connect and let her sort of, you know, sort of yeah. help me attach, then it was profound. It was profound. A lot of crying? No, a lot of dissociating, a, a lot of disconnecting, because I, I had sort of dissociated. Once you, but once you connected, didn't you just? No, I think what would happen to me was, because uh, I never had problems with intense feelings. As usual, you know, intense feelings. Screaming or crying? Yeah, intense feelings are all right. <laughs> yeah. but, but as usual, it's the intermediate zone that people have trouble with. And um, I, I would feel comfortable, I guess, or safe, sort of dropping into these dissociative states that I didn't even know I had. How would and, that and manifest I, itself? I, I would like fugue. I would like, t- and time would expand and contract. And I have no idea. And she'd all of, all of a sudden become aware, and she'd go, 
time's up. I'm like, huh? yeah. oh, you just left. <laughs> I'd sort of hypnotic. Right, of right, right. And I think that was the source of my anxiety. It's what it's a guy named Alan Shore that calls those trauma-associated dead spots. But, and it would fill in as I would get more comfortable sort of moving was in and the, out of it. What was the source of the trauma? That's sort of emotional abuse when I was growing up. I don't want to you know, out anybody, but... Like a- anger type? Or 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 um, selfish type. Like, were you were you neglected or were you used? Abused. Abused. Used. Used. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For, well, uh, narcissistic parents. Mm. So we're we're we have similar things. Mm. You and I. Yeah. It's weird like that because that's tricky, isn't it? It's delicate and it's it's submerged and it's not obvious. But you know, it reveals itself in me through codependent behavior. And- Absolutely, me too, hundred percent. Because you you end up your whole being becomes about managing them. And, yeah, th- and they you, demand that. Right, and you had no choice no. early on. Well, you didn't know. Nobody yeah. nobody gave you enough of what you needed to develop but, an autonomous self. Right, but the narcissist, exactly. Yeah. But the narcissist thinks that they're doing it right. Oh, absolutely. They're doing it for you. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing it for you. Oh, it's so sad. It makes me, it makes yeah. me choke up. So like, yeah, yeah, but that is really the key to it is that, so you had that too. Yeah. That's a that's a scary thing. So you, you like because what I've realized about myself is that you wander through the world with an incomplete self because you were oh, never one hundred percent right because you weren't able. That's no one deal. drew the boundary. They, like apparently, no one drew the boundary and then sat there and was present for you ever. Right, because right. they didn't know how them. to. That, yeah. They didn't know how, to. and they still don't. Mine don't. No, don't. absolutely not. No, no. And no, no matter what you do, they wouldn't. They would. They would like be confused. Yeah, they're like, "What are you talking about? Yeah. We took care of you. We we yeah. bought you that car. Yeah, you remember when you were fifteen? Yeah. And, and yeah, you were tough. You were brooding and anxious, and yeah, you were yeah, tough. We you were like we every got, teenager. Right. So. But you had it together. You, they <laughs> look at look at you. You're fine. Look at you. You're fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I don't know how you didn't get more fucked up. I guess you. Um, I I think. I gritted it out, you know. I ground it out for many, many years uh, dealing with my anxiety and stuff. I, but I, you must have been obsessive. I mean, you must. Oh, have but, but I liked. I, oh yeah. Oh my god, I had severe workaholism for many, many years. So that was the thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I liked people, and I could connect to people. I just couldn't connect them in a real genuine way. I remember telling my therapist because there's a fear there, right? I mean, like the weird thing about me is that if you let yourself be vulnerable, yeah, because you know, you emotionally, you, you, you're you know, exploited. Right, yeah. and no one placated this this fear of being hurt thing, or mm-hmm. you, you know, you, your sensitivity is not relative to the situation. Yeah, everything becomes very big. Yes, you know, like if somebody just goes, "I can't have lunch," it's like, what? Yeah, what did I do? What well, did yeah, do? yeah, it's like, God, <laughs> I, I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, listen, I I had a little little different thing. I remember early on in therapy, I was said, you know, I really see this whole process as the search for the genuine. Right. I want a genuine. That's I what want a, this whole podcast I, I want a, is. I want a genuine emotion. I want a genuine connection. I want to be authentic genuine, self. Authentic self. And I had, and it was empty. A lot of emptiness I had. And yeah. em- empty is a common feeling these days. So, so that has kind of become strangely enough, Mark, my, my life work now. Trying to, trying to help other people see it because it's it's everywhere. The emptiness. The emptiness is so common now, and it's it's emptiness because of abuse, because of narcissistic parenting, all that stuff. Narcissistic Abandonment, culture. Neglect. It's everywhere. No, I get it. Yeah. So it's, and, and you're like, not unlike what I'm doing in some, in certain ways is that, you know, to get back to that, because like, you know, just because we happen to have narcissistic residual syndrome, yeah. which I just made up. I love it. I love being it. brought up by narcissists. Yeah. You know, we have a sensitivity to it, but we're cursed with the self-awareness to not be narcissists. So, so then the struggle becomes, well, who am I? And then, you know, once you sort of level up on that, it doesn't mean you know what the hell to do with that. I mean, I still deal with emptiness. I mean, I can't make a relationship work when I stop working or I sit there and I go, well, what am I going to do now? I don't fucking know. Nap. Uh, you know. <laughs> 
You know, I can't. Everything's. I still have a lot of anxiety. Yeah. What do you do with the emptiness now? How I don't. Are you, I don't experience it anymore. Well, how do you know you're not just a workaholic? I'm. I'm. Because I really. I actually worry that I'm not working enough anymore. Okay. I love work. I love. I. I have. Because of therapy, I've organized my life in such a way that all parts of myself are involved and things I do are sort of creative and interesting. I get to come talk. You, right. Are you kidding? It, 20 years ago, to have time to do this? Wouldn't happen. You, no way. Like I had to, like I've, I have had many cyclical, you know, fucking like, you know, I'm me, you're you, fuck you things with my dad because of, uh, because of this thing. Yeah. And they and not knowing, you know, ultimately, there's still some party that thinks they're going to take responsibility for it, but they, but usually they retreat into something. No, they they they're, they got what they got. You know, they can't change. Unless yeah, but, they what, go to but you too. always accepted that. My dad passed away, and so that that was that. And his his stuff. I'm sorry, how well, when was okay. that? Oh, four years ago. Yeah, I know, but you're fifty something yeah, years old. So what happened before that? Uh, you know what happened to me was with him. I still got stuff with my mom. Is she around still? Yeah, with him. It was he was doing such a wonderful job as a grandparent. He did. He was just like you let him off the hook completely. I was so grateful. I was so filled with gratitude for his grandparenting that I was like, I, pfft, I'm out. It's fine. I don't care anymore. That must I, have been moving though. Yeah, way. that was intense. That Surprising. was important. And, yeah. and and I would give anything to have one more conversation with him. I know yeah. a lot of people feel that way, but um, yeah, I I, I, so I found forgiveness. Itself. I found forgiveness and gratitude in that. Absolutely. Well, when did you know that you had arrived at your true self? Or that you were being authentic. I, I, it just a long process. It just happened. I, I noticed I was using it more in treating patients. I think that's when I had something more to offer patients, and, right? And I, I could offer them something a real empathy that was profound. That's what you see. That's what you don't. That's what people don't realize about people that come from what we come from. When you come from narcissists, your capacity for empathy has to be learned. And it's kind of fucked but, up, but but it's also it, there's also an asset there. It's not, because you're so used to, you know, uh, some people. I, I I think there's two sort of wirings in people: people that start in and go out towards others, and people that start with the other and then go in. Right. And to some extent, we all do both, but but codependents go out first. And so we are exquisitely sensitive to we can be we can pick up. But what's I'm a going. closet. Like I'm like the weird thing is I never knew that part of myself. You know, I, like I uh, my second marriage dissolved because she went to Al-Anon. So like she hit a codependent wall. But I didn't see my part of being a codependent until recently in recent relationships. I didn't realize that there was such a thing as an alpha doormat. You know, <laughs> like well, it, it's, it's got to we. You know, I have a special empathy for co's that are addicts. It, that's a tough combo. Yeah, because you're, you're the monster. It cuts both ways. Yeah, and then when you, when, like at 15 yeah. years, I'm in two relationships where I'm clearly chasing my ass to try to accommodate. And I'm like, oh my God, Here this is again. even more powerful. But it's more power. It's like I never understood what that dynamic was. Mm. And, you know, and I had it all my life because when you deal with erratic parents who need managing, you, that's, you accommodate. And there's another layer to it, too. Oh, which boy. Is, this is the crazy part. Yeah. Is that, and this I can't, you can't really ever cure. Mm. You're going to be attracted to people that put you in that position. I know, I know, <laughs> and 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 you just love them. That's just how you're wired. It's your love map, and you so you've got to mitigate it. You and the way to mitigate it is to go ahead and go after people you're not that excited about. But then you're sort of but wait, can't holding you, something from yourself. But but you can't do that because then it's like it, there's a it's like a phantom limb. You know, it's thing. hard. It's very. Well, and, and by the way, you can also just go for people that are exciting, but realize it's going to be dramatic, and you can see a lot there. But, but yeah, but that's the thing is that like what I learned is or what my therapist says like well that's the way it's going to be. And the best you can hope for is that they're willing to do the work. Yes. 
I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, there's very, very few therapists would say that. I think you, you are seeing somebody good after all. <laughs> so I absolutely agree with that. Because because, because that's life. Well, how We're you, not perfect. We're not healthy all that, the time. That's right. But it's, you, it's what makes life interesting. You can't be with somebody that's like that's going to have that 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 you're not going to connect with on that level well, and just say- the, You can. You, you, you can, but- You better you, be very disciplined not to go out and fuck the lunatic. Correct. <laughs> correct. Yes, of course. I live this. A lot of people do not understand this. And it is where a lot of the craziness comes from. The things that were traumatic in our childhood are the sources of attraction. And no one writes, you know, not only the sources of attraction, you want to recreate it. Well, that's the that's the conscious experience of it. I think there's something I think far that's more unconscious. Profound. I think that no, because a lot no, of times because because when people start talking about it in therapy, they always go, well, I wanted to I guess I wanted to master it. I want to make it right this time. I'm like, no, it's, that's your brain trying to make sense of bullshit motivation. No, you, yeah, it's you, comfortable. It's what you grew up it's with. Your it's your map. Home. It's your it's, it's love. Right. It's your map. It's what you, it's well, where, you, it's, where it's, you find love. Is it love? Yes. That's your version of love. The, 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 version. the healthiest That's version. <laughs> the healthiest version. <laughs> right. But it's, I got the same one, so it's all good. But you've been with yeah. your wife for how long? Uh, Twenty three years. So that well, the, well it's the, working. We but we have our craziness, you know. But we therapy, therapy here, everybody, you know, it's good. All right. And, so, I, and if I have found, I have found in the craziness, passion and renewal. Right, I, 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 it works for us. I now well, hope well, it keeps my working. problem now, like because I, you know, I've dissolved two marriages and I just got out of a relationship that got crazy, and uh, you know, like now when I meet somebody and I feel compelled and they seem normal, I'm like this. What do I got to wait? Yeah, no, yeah. no. Like, if oh, I'm something's going to happen if you're attracted. Right, well, I'm like, oh, where? What's what are you sure. hiding? If, if it's in there. If you're attracted, of course, it's in there. Of course. However, <laughs> however, however, yeah, you've been doing a lot of therapy and stuff like that, and it's, it's possible that you. If you notice yourself being attracted to people and surprised you're attracted to that person, mm-hmm. that might be a, that might be somebody safer. We'll see. Like I, the the one benefit is I've gotten out of things quicker, you know. So like, yeah, you end up you Well, yeah, but the pain of of that of all of that, the heartbreak. It's funny. Like, I, yeah, I get having. I'm sighing a lot here with you. I feel the. I feel the <laughs> There's a heartbreak to is. things like sort of like ugh. I, thought I it was, totally get it. It's going to be different. All right, so I want. I, I, there's a couple things I, I yeah. like. I want to ask. So, so yeah, okay. Yeah. So now you're the you're the. So, in, the, the, you're, so first, that we finished your medical stuff. Almost. Right. It'll come back. Right. No, the the basic medical stuff, but yeah. psychological stuff uh, might still uh. need work. What? But but you're not a psychologist. No. That's why I'm moaning. I'm like, uh, people want me to do all that stuff, and, and I, I have a you like familiarity with. It. I like people. And I like their issues. But don't but, you get flack for that? You're not a psychiatrist. You're not a psychologist. Uh, You're I, not. You get flack for a lot of shit. Some people don't like you. Oh, I know. I get flack for a lot of shit. It drives me. It's painful. It must be painful. It's, but I mean, well, you can answer to it later. Sure. But, so I'll you do, are. Let's do it now. Well, I will. Yeah. But so your inspiration for for the way you built your practice, you know, outside of television and everything else, was being this in-house physician at a drug facility. Uh, that yeah. was I had two jobs basically. One was my general medical practice, where you were seeing people with like, is, oh, my stomach hurts. It, How come people. this happens? Right. It, that's in people, old people sick. And you were doing okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then and then I got in the and I was doing the drug and alcohol thing. I was running the drug and alcohol once program. a week or. Oh no, that was a daily thing. But I had a partner. Would you know? It, it, I was. There but you for, got hired on by the people that put the place together, well, right? It's, so, well, it's more complicated. Okay, I, right. I was there. For, I started there when I was uh, doing the medical workups, moonlighting as a resident. Then I ended up taking over their medical services. Okay, ran those for about four or five years, and then was asked. All, all the sick people were down in the drug units. I got very good at detoxing people. The guy, that, the short story is the guy that was the director of the program goes, "Hey, help me out here. I need an assistant director. So when I'm away, someone's watching the shop." Don't worry, there's nothing to it. You got good at de- pulling people off opiates. I got really good. At, I could detox anybody anytime. It, it's and it's no big deal. It, we can we can do it without using opiates, without suboxone, without methanol, without all that stuff. So I, I'm deeply connected to abstinence based treatment. I, I've seen it 
change lives, and, and I think it's a shame when we, we, we shortcut it. Anyway, so the a director asked me to be the uh, assistant director, and then he quit, and now move up to the director, and I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. So I had to really become an expert fast and uh, spent 20 years doing that. Now, towards the end, I'd, my partner was doing a lot of the work, and I was just sort of supervising. But, so you, but, but initially, it was starting off dealing with the medical issues yeah. of, 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 of coming off drugs. Right, and then, and, and then all of a sudden, I was in the middle of it. I had to become an expert on recovery, on the family issues, on interpersonal. And you, did the re, you, re, you read the books. And I've retaken the board, so I'm, I'm a, officially an expert in this in Because this you know what fucking gets me is that you, know, yeah. you go see a therapist, and yeah. in my mind, any therapist, any therapist, yeah. read the fucking big book. I know. Wait, but what the? I mean, just. But it's it's so complicated. What do you mean it's complicated? The, the lack of the, the 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 politics and the philosophies that are that are wound into the treatment of drug addicts. It's unbelievable. I I literally feel, and I find this bizarre. I I one time I told the story the other day to a group of psychologists. I I was concerned that all my patients, we detox them, we treat them, we get them in treatment, and all of a sudden they'd end up in another part of the psychiatric hospital on benzos, on opiates, and we go look. We've been working with this guy for six months. We're just doing great. You brought him in, and just because he said he was suicidal or anxious, you put him on the drug. Please understand, this guy was using, and you didn't test for that. And I said, I'll tell you what I want. I just In the admissions office at the hospital, yeah. I just want a banner above the people doing the admissions. Reminder, all diagnostic criteria contingent upon no medical, drug use, or withdrawal. Otherwise, the criteria are invalid. And the and the and it was the director of admissions and the, and the medical director looked at me and my nurse and went, <sighs> like the unenlightened, like literally we were arguing about religion or something. Yeah, it was bizarre. I said, no, that's the criteria. I just want to, I just want a reminder for the people using these criteria that they're applying them improperly. Right, I mean, it's no philosophy issue. It's no religion. It's just. Well, but but the weird thing is is that there there is this weird disconnect between you know people who medicate yeah you know practitioners yes and people who who are cognitive right yeah oh yes for for drug addicts right well the yeah. thing is like you know I know there's issues about like you know uh, about treatment but the truth of the matter is is no treatment most of them don't work most of them yes the success true. rate is shit yeah true. so like if somebody says that's like, why that's why all this other stuff comes in because yeah. abstinence has such high recidivism. The other stuff, if, if we had great success with abstinence treatment, there would be no room for anybody else. Right, but but the other thing is just then it becomes a question of, of the, the disposition of the person. Like, you know, making somebody, uh, taking them from drug addiction to a, a more acceptable drug addiction. The question is, are you going to try to get this person into a flourishing life or make them chronically ill? That's, that's, the, that's the thing. And if they're going to die if they're not chronically ill... Okay, we will be make chronically ill. But who do we make chronically ill? That's the that's the question. What do you mean by chronically ill? Like chronically on medication, chronically oh, oh. not not flourishing. Not because yeah, recovery is about flourishing, about I, being better than you ever knew you could be. Right, I know. But, like, but, but then you but when when you talk about that, and then you talk about your own struggle about being hobbled, you know, psychologically, <laughs> yeah. and realizing that a lifetime is only a lifetime, yeah. and that you know what is necessary to to sort of really parse what is going on with you and behave properly. I mean, you can you know act as if all you want yeah but it, eventually it'll stick somehow or another but yes. you're still going to deal with those feelings but it takes a certain amount of uh, a courage and 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 persistence it's to not for everybody to do it it's not for everybody but so the question is who do you how do you select i don't know the, the interesting well here's the interesting <laughs> selection magically doctors all get abstinence treatment so for our peers we only use abstinence treatment hmm. you mean in the community no i mean if a doctor gets addiction right the only acceptable treatment is abstinence-based treatment right Interesting. Yeah. For us, that's the only acceptable treatment. But for everybody else, well, we have other options for you. 
It's like, hmm. What, you mean like medication? Like and medication and whatever. But sometimes medication is appropriate. There's plenty of doctors on medicine. Yeah. Opiates and benzos is what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Are Keeping you on medicine? People, no. Oh, well, I have cholesterol and blood pressure medicine. That's it. All right. So so what? what now, I guess most of the criticism around you is that you're an opportunist who's, uh, you know, exploiting right. the addicted. Um, so help me understand what that means. Because that, that's a part. That's where I start. Like, oh, exactly what does that mean? Look, I, I, I've maybe watched only a couple episodes of your show. I've listened, like, you know, I, I know you as a person. I've met you a few times. I've listened to Loveline here and there. I've watched one or two. I've not been, you know, committed. I don't do a lot of research. But I think the idea is that reality shows in general are exploitive. And that reality shows that are presenting themselves, not unlike many of them, there's a certain type of reality show that presents itself as a, as helping people. But, you know, when, when there are tragedies within it or when people think that storylines are being extended right. uh, or, or drama is encouraged in order to make the show compelling, then it seems exploitive. And, and you, would, you would also think that the people who are being exploited would, what, feel exploited? Right. And, and not... Cons- no, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's so. tricky with celebrities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, yeah, that might be part of the problem, right? Well, so so here's the situation. So let's look at the situation. And, and I understand the criticism. I, I, I do. So I would think exploited would mean somebody is unwittingly brought into something that they don't understand, and then it thing and their well being or their good is sort of forsaken for something else. Right. Right. So. Our and by the way, I didn't dream up doing this thing. Somebody asked me to do it, and I thought, celebrity rehab. Yeah, I thought, no, no way, forget it. But it, I started getting convinced to do it, do it, do it. And actually, it's Bob Forrest that convinced me to do it. He came to my office one day and he said, uh, he goes, you know, I'm so goddamn sick and tired. We treated a lot of celebrities back in the day. I, I'm so sick privately, private, yeah, without anybody yeah. knowing. Uh, so I'm so sick and tired of our patients being disdained in the media as being on some sort of spa vacation or right. on a publicity campaign. People are sick. They do hard work. We got to do a TV show. Where we show what these people do. It, out of the blue, he said this to me. Somebody already approached me at that point about it. Uh, we, where we do a TV show, where we show how hard this work is and how sick these people are and, and what they need to do to get well. And I said. Interesting that we were just—I just been approached about this. I, if you think we should, I, I, I'll keep going. And he's somebody I, you work with at the treatment center. I've been working with him for years and years. In fact, I knew him back when he was a severe drug addict, and I assumed—I thought for sure he died, for sure. What and, was his band? Uh, was it Thelonious, Thelonious Monster? Monster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see him around. I mean, he's—he's a, yeah. he's a guy. He's got—he's solid. He's got double. What does he need? Twenty years sober now, or yeah, some more? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was treated you know, over twenty times. And yeah, stuff. severe addiction. So this is interesting. So because of the cultural uh, perception of celebrity and the need for predatory uh, tabloid information about them, uh, Bob thought that they were being mischaracterized and treated and yeah. treated poorly. Yeah. Because of people's lack of understanding of, of how difficult the job is and what drug addiction is. It, right. And okay. this time we did a TV show, we showed all this. You know, we really tried to educate people about it. I think we achieved that end. I think that's what we intended to do. What, what I didn't know was, is this going to be good for these patients? I had no idea. And I was very, very concerned about that. And because of that, the consent process was extensive. They needed to talk to their family. They needed to talk to everybody. And two, two things kind of happened that were sort of surprising to me. One was when we treated the first, and we just, all we did was treat. In fact, at the end, you know, as I learned how these people do these reality shows, I got to the point where people were not allowed to make even eye contact with the patients, and they were not allowed to make eye contact with me unless they had four questions. Doctor, how's the patient doing? How long are they going to be in treatment? How much is this going to cost? What's the aftercare plan? That's it. Yeah. It's the only things they're allowed to talk to me about. And if they talked about anything else, I'd leave that goddamn set, I swear to Christ. Yeah. So- 
But I didn't know I needed to be like that at the beginning. So I, so that's how you have to be when people- with, with who with these questions? With the producers. Oh, and okay. Okay. They, they want to monkey with people. Right. You, you can't do that with The reality people. producers. Yes, they wanted to monkey. I was like, these are sick people. Are you kidding me? So, so, But you didn't do that initially until you learned- uh, It took me a little while to learn- That they were predatory. Or whatever they're doing, they're doing what they they don't understand. Exploitive. Forgive them; they know not what they well, do. I, all right, well that's <laughs> so, that's very so, diplomatic. So but okay. So so the first thing was I, yeah. every time we'd get in every day, I go like, "Are you okay? Are you okay? The camera's okay? Are they bothering you? The bothering you? Everyone's like, "No, nah, I'm fine, fine. The camera's don't bother me." And and finally, Mary Carey, the porn star, leans into me and she goes, "Drew, I, I've done just about everything in front of a camera. This is not a problem." <laughs> I thought, okay, okay, I get it. So that and then the other thing, and this was the big surprise and the great relief for me. Is that every single patient had a had an evolution in treatment that we didn't expect? They went from coming in because they wanted to be on TV, they want to make money. Then eh, maybe I'll get a little treatment, whatever. Bounce yeah. back, whatever. Come yeah. back. Whatever. They just they were their motivation was not necessarily strictly to get over drug addict, get well. Um, they went from that to realizing we were serious. Most of them came in to screw with us too. They wanted to mess with our production, mess with me. A lot of people intended to sort of make a name for themselves by screwing everything up, right? They understood we were serious about it. They started valuing their treatment, and they ended up, pretty much every patient ended up wanting to share it with other people because they valued what they'd gotten in treatment. Right. And that was good. That was good. The problem is, once they leave treatment, how do you know who's going to keep going and who's not? And that's where- that's where With anybody. With anybody. With anybody. And, and I made myself, I treated and treated. Anybody wanted treatment, we got it for them. We it's kept a fucking, it going. It, people do not fucking understand the heartbreak of the thing. Oh, like they're so because, difficult. Well, the, well, culturally, there's really two camps. There's you know, like uh, you know, tough love, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and then there's people that, who live with it on some form or another, either within them or within family members, who realize this struggle is not that easy, no. and that does not imply weakness. I mean, there are some people that can just say no and dry drunk the rest rare, of their life. Rare, it is. Yeah, I yeah, wouldn't the, bank on that for anybody, by the way. Yeah, but some people like some people I, do. Some, some people, people do have periods. Yeah, where like you know that was a bad time. Yep, and that's I'm done. And they like, but I wonder what the what the statistics are, and like, well, what what are they replacing it with? Right. What's next? <laughs> where, Absolutely. Where's that? Well, either that or they're not an addict. Well, what do you? Because that happens too. People do substances that are not addicts. Yeah. No, of course, yeah. and I hate them. Yeah. They, yeah they, you wish you could be like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean, you were making a good living with that thing, right? I mean, that uh, was your primary thing. Love. Well, Love Lines was different. That's interesting. Like, how did you come into that? I mean, oh, that's you, a long story. It was just accident. I was in. I thought I was doing community service. That was back when I was in medical school. But that made you in Corolla, right? Well, that I, publicly Cor- Corolla came like fifteen years later. I, I was in radio. I, what got me into radio was HIV and AIDS. I thought we needed to talk about this. No one was talking about it. As and an I, internist. As an internist. I wanted to get on. Were you treating AIDS patients? Oh, like crazy. And they what were all dying. This? 83, 84, 85. Oh, right there at the beginning. Oh, yeah. It was horrible. And nobody was talking about it. It drove me insane. Yeah. Because there was a general sort of, in the in the general culture of uh, the time was, well, young people don't have sex. So we don't need to talk to them. It really, that's how people thought. Remember condoms were behind the counter? You have to go to the pharmacist to get the counter? Yeah. It was insane to me. And I thought, yeah. we got to talk about this. And so I, once a week, came on and talked, answered questions. What and station I, was that? K-Rock. Oh, it was Same that right at the beginning? Yeah, right. right here. And it was when K-Rock was on Las Robles, it was a little shithole above the right. dentist office or something. So you're like, Dr. Drew is here to talk and, to you and about I didn't, sex. And I didn't use my name. I didn't want people to really know what I was doing. I thought I was doing community service. You know, I, But it was, it was about fun. sex. It was that, that that standard fucking issue of like, you know, how are we in 
in America so fucking repressed and Victorian about how we approach hey, this. Hey, but back then, young people were having lots of sex, and there was nowhere to go for STDs were mysterious. There was no internet. There was no textbook. There was no education yeah, in high school. But there's also shame and fear. Oh, oh, and, all that stuff yeah. was there. But 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 there were people were having lots of sex, right? right. Young people. They're and always no one was, having lots of sex. I, I don't know what it was like in the 50s and 60s, but in the 70s and 80s, it was going on, and no one was talking about it, and no one was talking about healthy ways to do this. And it was, it was all considered sort of taboo, and right. you don't talk to young people about it, especially. Right. I got shit for that, too. And, and here's here's the bottom line here, Mark. Yes, this I'm why here. I'm upset. Is that I, I do stuff that I think instinctively is right, and yeah. I think I have pretty good instincts, and yeah. I love people, and I and I want to do what's right. Yeah. I do it because I think it's right. I think I was right to go talk to young people about sex. I took more shit about that than probably anything. What kind of shit, generally? Oh, I had the director of my residency program screaming at me, telling me I was sick, there was something wrong with me, he was going to fire me. I stopped for a while. And same guy, what two years later. sick? There's something wrong with you for talking to kids about sex. Are right. You, yeah. Same guy, two years later, I went back, he's sort of on the DL, and yeah. I started doing it again. Same guy, three years later, comes back to him and goes, because he got involved in AIDS education later, hey, you still doing that radio show? I'll tell you what, I'll take over now. I got it. I got it. Really? Same guy. Yeah. It, we, it was, but you see, so you were treating people where there, when there were no answers. So you there, got some of the first cases. Absolutely. I would say when they came in with their first episode of pneumocystis, I would say you have six months to live, and I was never wrong, never wrong. But you didn't know it was AIDS at that time. Oh no, we knew we knew what it was then. We that knew was, it was like one of the major KS pneumocystis, K, KS, KS, CMV retinitis, and stuff. We would see all these crazy things, and all leuco, leuco, you know, rare encephalopathy. But we knew it was AIDS because that's we, what was. I, I have to say though, people, there's a piece of the story that people don't know very well. When AZT, you know, County Hospital was doing a lot of the AZT research, uh-huh. and, and we got AZT, and we we're like, oh man, this is working. Yeah, the buyers clubs at the time. And Spin Magazine, if you look back at it, came out and said, that drug causes AIDS. Don't take it. That's the syndrome. It's the people trying to, they're taking advantage of you. Come with us. Get the stuff from Mexico and blah, blah, blah. And I saw hundreds of people die because of that. Now, they would have died anyway at that point what was, in time. Why would they say that? They, yeah, there was I, don't, a- I don't know. I don't know. I'd go look at old Spin Magazine. They did series on it. I kind of remember. Yeah. They, and they would say it all came from the Gallo Institute, and it was doctors putting this thing, this BS out, and the drugs they're giving you are causing the AIDS. And or, it, it was even implied in the Dallas Buyers Club movie. They, they sort of implied that, well, remember, the guy took tons of it too much, and he got sick. And then it sort of became the doctors made people sick too, but then they didn't. Look, it was a it, we were rushing to save lives. I mean, right. it was... A, so you had to do in things. the history of medicine. There's never been anything like this. It took us a thousand years to figure out what syphilis was. We identified an, an epidemic. We figured out what the syndrome was. We figured out a causative agent. And we initiated treatment of vaccine th- uh, research within ten years. It's unbelievable. There's never been anything like that. And people are living with it now. Oh, and now it's it's chronic illness like diabetes, but it's controllable. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So now, like in terms of all right, so that and then add, and then it becomes a relationship show. Now I'm all upset. I don't know why. Because I, I think you're taking me back to that time, and and I'm thinking of all the shit I've taken over the years and struggles to do what's right and to help people and take shit for it is really painful. Well, I think that once you, it, 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 the thing is, is that once you enter the world of of celebrity, yeah, that you know that's what comes with it. I guess, uh, and people think they know you or your motivation or whatever, and I, I just examine myself all the time. Like, are you are you right? You must do this shit. You, you, I, I, it's our disorder. <laughs> but I'm not as big, I, you know, I my my 
you know, I'm not as, uh, you know, I don't have anything. I don't have a professionalism. You know, like I'm not as uh, out there saying like, well, I know. Not an easy target. Like well, me. yeah. Well, I I'm mean, an easy target. Yeah. But I mean, there, it, you obviously have helped people. I certainly hope so. Are you kidding? That's my goal. People who grew up on Loveline? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, so. like, you know, I mean, you saved lives, you saved relationships. And, and when you're in a position that you're in where you're confident, you're a practitioner, you know, there, there's just people out there going, that guy's going fucking down. Yeah. Like, you know, when you make comments. I at- don't understand that that whole impulse. I got none of that myself. So I, I, I understand. I know it's there. Well, I, that, I, well, I think that what happens is, is that because everything's so available that yeah. anybody at any time can listen to everything you've ever done or look at it. Yeah. That, you know, if you have a moment yeah. where you misspeak or don't think thoroughly through it and yeah. it's reactive. Yeah. Then that becomes everything. That, yeah. that becomes the yeah. lens through which we see you. This guy yeah. said that these symptoms are, are from sex abuse and he just he just he shit on all women. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had this. I happened to have that the other day. I uh, had a guy. This is awesome. This shows you the, how the social media can can get at you. Yeah. I uh, had a guy on Loveline, still doing Loveline, and uh, he calls up and he goes, "My girlfriend." He was incredibly anxious. Go, girlfriend. She has. Uh, she has IC. She has endometriosis. She right, has fibromyalgia. Yeah, I just read about Did, that. Did you see this? Go thing? ahead. And, 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 I, and I go, whoa, 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 hold on. I was like, I go, wait, wait, wait. He, he listed like six diagnoses, seven diagnoses, right. all unrelated, basically. Uh, and uh, and I go, hang on a second. I go, I, he's using jargon, too. So yeah. I know immediately there's something up. I go, I see. I assume you mean interstitial cystitis. And I go, he goes, oh, yeah. And I go, okay, okay, okay. So here's the deal. You've you, you've done you've used a, a listed a, a whole array of garbage bag diagnoses, meaning doctors pouring things into the garbage bag to try to explain something they can't explain. Yeah. Not that these things don't exist. Right. Not that they are very serious diagnoses right. for people that have. You were using slang, medical slang. Yeah. This woman, I don't think we might consider. Maybe she doesn't have any of these things. And I said, maybe it, maybe it makes me think. With your anxiety and this list of unrelated diagnoses, uh, you can argue about how unrelated or not they are. Maybe she had sexual trauma growing up. Maybe this is all about because it seems all centered around her pelvis and yeah. sex, and, sex, and he's concerned because he doesn't get to have sex because right, of sexual. Right. And I go, I, was there severe sexual abuse? Yes, you're severely sexual abused. And I go, why don't you go look at that? Maybe, maybe stop with all the medical stuff and go get that treated. Right. That that was the call. It was uh, Alan Thick was the guest. <laughs> Alan Thick was in there. It was a minute, fifteen second call. The endometriosis world came after me like you can't believe. For saying endometriosis is a garbage bag diagnosis. Which wasn't... Which was not at all. They misunderstood garbage bag. Right. And of course endometriosis is a very serious thing. It causes infertility. It's painful. It's it's profound. It's common. Right. But you were dealing this with the psychology and the number of, of possible ailments. She didn't have it. She didn't. Right. Ha- I suspect that she probably didn't have there. If she did, it wasn't what was causing all this anxiety for this guy. She may have also had it. You know. Right. I, I, but I'm just saying, consider this other thing also. Isn't it fascinating? Like you know, just like oh, like so the, painful, so painful for for you oh. to be misunderstood. But yeah, but that's oh. going to happen in a public forum. If you're in a public forum every <sighs> fucking day, how the hell? I guess that? so. But yeah, maybe it's maybe you can help me. Maybe it's, it's part of because we share this codependency thing. When you're codependent, you want you like people you want people to like you back you know you like that well, well i think that it becomes tricky when you know you're as together as you are or or it's hard you know when you're a spokesperson or somebody who's in the public eye and you're like a codependent your instinct is like i want to help and when you don't help you take it personally yes. it's hard not to mistake that taking it personally is narcissistic oh that's interesting so you help me do you understand? What I'm yeah, I do. Well, it is kind of a narcissism in a way. Well, yeah. it, it is. It is. Hey, it's all about some, me. Yeah, but there's something. There's something healthy about some narcissism. I mean, Ed, no, but, but you're right. There, there is a covert narcissism in codependency. It's all you're, about that. You're right. 
You're right. It's wounding, this right. stuff. And, right, that you yeah. didn't take, my, that yeah. you misunderstood me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Good, it's funny now. <laughs> now, in dealing with that, um, it's, in, it, it's profound to me just, you know, what's happened culturally, sexually. Uh, and yeah. I, I didn't plan to talk about this, but right. I mean, since you obviously have uh, opinions on it. Yeah. Um, the pornification. Oh yeah, it's interesting, right? Of culture. Well, like, I, like I talk about it on stage that you know, porn is insidious. It's uh, it's brain altering, absolutely, al- almost permanently. If Probably. you're not careful, we don't know. No, I I, I know. <laughs> I saw porn too young, and, and I'm struggling backwards for my entire life. We do know that a young exposure can cause sexual compulsions and addictions. I mean, it it, it shatters the upper limits of the young brain's ability to manage and regulate stuff that's right. coming in. It's almost like a trauma. But it's, yeah, it's desensitizing. Mm-hmm. It's fucking profound, dude. And like, and like, I don't know when it happened. I don't know if the business is that big to where, like, I mean, in the eighties. There was a fucking, you know, granted a right wing commission to sort of like harness and assess it. But now it's just sort of like, yeah, porn is porn. You can do it. We can you and I can watch it right now. I mean, there used to be some difficulty in getting it. But uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm no Puritan, but it just seems to me that it has the same effect as a drug. And that for and, sure. And that, you know, I have a friend, a good friend of mine. My sponsor actually is, uh, you know, deals with sexual addiction. Yeah. And, and I don't I don't I think that the repercussions of, of that epidemic is we don't even fucking know. We have no idea we have no idea yet i I worry about what's going to happen to the next this current generation that sort of we don't know and they're living in it the the one thing i've seen is a lot of young males you're gonna love this young males are are sort of like not interested in relationships right like no women they're kind of they're difficult they're tough yeah i I got my porn i'm fine yeah can you imagine or i got my or i got my hookup i'm fine uh, hook up porn whatever just some arousing whatever this is interesting because you know wilhelm reich you know who who wrote uh, early on who got you know kind of pushed out of psychiatry for it yeah said that if we can unleash you know and demystify and take away the guilt and repression around sexuality yeah. in this culture and he was going on freud's idea that repression was why everyone was neurotic right that we could fix the culture and create an unneurotic populace if people didn't stigmatize sexuality what do you think well, uh, we're living in it. Yeah, it's not working out so good. <laughs> it's, 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 it's concerning. Problem. Different, Dif- problem. different set of problems. That's right. Maybe kids are less neurotic, and maybe they're more uh, comfortably sexually. But I don't know that you know by that, by taking away the meaning of intimacy on that level is proactive. No, it's it's problematic. Yeah, because because there is biological intimacy associated with it that we can't escape. Right, and and if you are denying it, that has consequences. Right, it does, and so people need to be respectful of you know what happens when two people are close like that. Oh, I see what you're saying. So there's no free ride. No, it's our <laughs> brains are you know oxytocin <laughs> comes out. We have all kinds of feelings, yeah, and, we, have and, and yeah. we can do it sometimes. Right, and, and but sometimes we cannot. And, and how to identify those times and what the price is for doing it? Not worked out. Well, getting back to this other thing about you, you know about how you, you know, reality shows characterize things. The weird yeah. thing about me is that. Like knowing from the inside, you know, as somebody who's a drug addict, as somebody who spent time in recovery, it's interesting. Like even even shows like Intervention, mm. which kills me all the time, because like I think that the that the Intervention Library is like a first step library. Is that you want that because as somebody who's in it. Even if it's exploitive, what's being captured there is truly the struggle of it. It's like you, you wonder whether that person's going to run or go into treatment. Yeah, yeah. But even as somebody who's in it, like, okay, they're in treatment. I'm like, 
I, I, who knows what's going to happen now? Right, I'm glad right. they made it and they'll get the information. But even when they're back like a year later, I'm like, nah, she's still not out of the woods, man. That's right. You're not out of the fucking woods for it's five years. Then you hear years. People, when years I hear people, years. dude, lately I've been hearing about people who are relapsing at 17, 18 years. I'm Ooh. like, oh my God. Oh. Because like, you're, well, you're an old person now and you're like, well, maybe it doesn't have the same. I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, I don't think it's I don't give a shit. I'm like, it can't be as strong as it was. Do you know like that yeah, whole idea? thinking that I can handle it now because right. I've got so many years of good built-up right, regulation. Right, right. How could it possibly? And, and you know what? And usually when they do that, uh, it's a slow evolution. Or very quick. Or very quick. <laughs> Sometimes very quick. But usually what I've seen, it's usually slow because they usually kind of can handle a little bit differently than they used to. And then, oh, now it's, just now it's up game on. on. And then phew, off they go. I just, I, I never, like, I never forget that, that, that feeling of just knowing that, like, you, you've never been a, there's never been a casual approach to any of this shit. Good. Yeah. You're so lucky. what do you, but what do you think it is after all this experience? What do you what do you how do you characterize? Do you use a disease model? Is that something? One hundred percent. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, we just know so much about it. It's just that's what that is. the The, the mystery is how do you get somebody to be willing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm of the opinion that the magic of that is interpersonal. It's an interpersonal disease with an interpersonal solution. Uh, it becomes between you and your drugs, but ultimately, if you can interpose people. Mm-hmm. Into the into the wiring, yeah. That's that's where you get find your way out. But people don't addicts don't trust. They've been severely traumatized. They don't know how to get that closeness going. The manipulators too. But but that's that's incumbent upon us, you know. And that's the piece that doctors don't get at all is how they're being manipulated. And I have I have to bring people in the room with me to sort of double check me because I'm as not a recovering person. I, I can get taken advantage of really easily, but. I, I kind of know. I, I, you know, I, I, I've learned. I've cultivated the word whatever. I've learned to expect everything and anything from from addicts, and, yeah. and you know, I do the best I can. But getting in the frame, getting them to be close, is is an unusual experience for them. I feel like that's my other than getting them detoxed and enrolled. My, my instrument, my, what I use, sort of use my medical instrument, is my body to get in the frame of closeness with another with another person. And that's that's hard work to get them there and keep them there. So I feel like that's their. I, I serve as the first. And you know, I, I just talked to Jeremy London over the weekend, and I haven't talked to him in years. And he, we treated him on one of the shows. And he's now got married, had a kid, flourishing, and Worked. he. And and I and I thought to myself, I go, wow, why would he? He called me to sort of connect about what, yeah. his success in life. And I thought, wow, I guess I guess that makes sense because he 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 really appreciated that closeness we had in the brief time we were together it was different for him and it became a model for things he could do in and recovery also, and the, with, right the other thing is about that closeness is also learning how that through the context of of like recovery or whatever that you can help others oh well that's like, part of that's just reversing closeness that's right that's but just, that, that's but, practicing boundaries and creating meaning right good, but leading a good life right but you got to learn that when you're drug addict you got to, yeah, yeah. That's the tricky thing is yeah. that sort of like, and, I just want to worry about me, fuck n- it all. No. But like, you know, but then to really feel the fact that if you just listen to someone else's problems, you're not thinking about you and it's a relief and you feel like you've done something good. Right. And it's not, it's not learning, it's experiencing. It's an experiential right. process right. and you have to first experience. And, but, but here's the part that I think people miss. It's not just serving soup at a soup kitchen. It's identifying something in another person that you're being of service to learning empathy mm. it's hard I, I know I, I it took me doing this podcast to really get it no shit yeah do you sponsor people i don't oh we may need to i know think about i know that. I, I, well, yeah i mean uh that might be really whew. i think i sponsor hundreds twice a week yeah yeah i understand <laughs> 
All right, let's deal with one other thing yeah. that we should talk about. The uh, and I don't usually do interviews like this, but I, I might as well do it with you. These the accusations of shilling medicine. Me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's that about? The contract on the well, Butrin? Or the right, right. Here's here's and no one wants to no one wants to listen to me on this one either. But so, you, so you've defended yourself on this? Uh, yeah, I've tried, uh, but but I, well, I just it, it, the the perception is so bizarre. I just sort of whatever. But but wait, let, before you get into it, I I mean, I need to. I do yeah. know that you know, growing up with a doctor, that pharmaceutical reps come to the office, yeah. they give you samples. You know, you want to be up on the latest things and, yeah. the, and the most positive treatments for certain things. Right, so, right. So you you you're, you're and in you want to get loop. and you want to get samples for your patients for right. free because they can't afford stuff. Yeah. So I mean, I get that part of it. Yeah. That if you believe in Western medicine, this is part of the reality of how you do business. Now, well, not, not, really, now the, I mean, things have changed so much in the last fifteen or twenty years. Right and now, we don't let them in the office. They mail us the samples. Everything we don't even accept a pen anymore. Now, you got to remember, I, I come from a time when we got our first stethoscope from Lilly. You know, there was it was considered collaborative relationship. Right. Um, I had drug when I was a chief resident. Drug companies paid for all of our speakers. Now, I made sure that whatever they spoke on, I chose had nothing to do with their products. But they paid for it. But, the, that, but it wasn't seen as nefarious. It was collaborative. It was right. seen collaborative. And right. it became increasingly clear that it was nefarious. Okay. 15 years ago, I accepted money to do a campaign. 15 years ago. <laughs> to do a campaign. Yeah. The, and the I mean, rage in your eyes yeah. here. Yeah. To do a campaign. And here was the campaign. Maybe you shouldn't take antidepressant medicine because it can screw with your libido and ruin your relationships. Mm-hmm. That was the campaign. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the campaign. Okay. I, 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 I wrote a book. I gave lectures. I did television. And I, I opened the book to see if my memory was right. And not anywhere in the book does it mention Wellbutrin. Not one place does right. it mention it. Wellbutrin is one of the antidepressants that does not cause that side effect. It's not an SSRI. Now, back in the day, people were not discussing this. And I was on Loveline. People, marriages were being ruined because people were being put on SSRIs and they'd lose their libido. They couldn't function sexually. And I was like, this important campaign. I did it for two years. It was a major part of my life going around doing this. Um, And also, they didn't know the success rate or the side effects necessarily or whether or not, you know, it was going to work. It was was awful what I was seeing. And and I was, I, I was... Anxious to do this. I mean, these people paid to put me on TV and found ways to put in lecture halls. Anyway, but the Justice Department got on that company for for advocating off-label use of their medicine. They found a radio interview I did where they asked me, what do you do if somebody gets this? And I said, well, here's what I do. This is what I do. This is what I do. I switch people. If somebody needs an antidepressant, I switch them to Wellbutrin, Sarazone, or Remeron. And occasionally I'll add Wellbutrin to the SSRIs if it's some compelling reason to keep on the SSRIs. And uh, that's what I do. Were you paid to do that? To say that? Yeah. No. So you never received money for it? Oh, yes. I was paid for the campaign. It was my my job for two years. It was a major piece of my life was I was going around doing these lectures. But you believed in Wellbutrin. No, it was. I believed in not using antidepressants. That was the campaign. The campaign was- Who gave you that money? The Wellbutrin people, they, but they didn't. Ca- they were allowing me to have my opinion oh, about because because then somebody, of course, would come in and go, "Well, here's a drug that doesn't cause that." That was not me. Okay. Though when they would ask me what I did in practice, <laughs> which they did on one radio show that they found, I answered, "That's what I do in my right. practice because that's what I did." I uh, and so, but that was not an on-label thing, so that's where it became an issue. You've never heard me say use X, Y, or Z medication. Right. No one has ever heard me say that because I don't do that. I, I just don't. Where do, do you that. stand on uh, Viagra Cialis? Uh, I take it because <laughs> because you take it for one year after your uh, after your prostatectomy. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's what you take. It's it's exciting, right? <laughs> if you've got a prostatectomy, <laughs> it's it saves your boner. It's, it, it's an important thing. So in those cases, you, I mean, I, as recreationally used? No, 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 no. No, no matter. Listen, I, here's the deal. Here's what I grew up with. I grew up with, and I hope you grew up with the same. My, friend, my dad would always say, medicines are bad. Mm-hmm. Do not take medicine. People overuse medicine. I, I didn't receive an antibiotic until I was like 14. My dad was the opposite. And, and then it was like only under these extreme circumstances and with great like, all right, you're about to take right. a medication. And and I, I listen, most of what I did in the psychiatric hospital when I was running the medical service was dealing with the side effects of medication. I have a profound concern about the medis- medicalization of all this and how dangerous medicines are. Profound. Because mm-hmm. they, they, they don't know what the long... The Forget long term. I've seen short term disasters. Right. Lots of them. Yeah. Lots no, of my them. dad was different. My dad was like, take this, take that, take this. And now somehow or another being a guy who was deeply rooted in, in that... He's become completely holistic. Oh, that's isn't that interesting? All vitamins now, which you know is its own its own. Well, problem. I mean, there's, there's definitely. Listen, like I said, I have genetic issues in my family. I'm glad I can fight it back with medication. Right, but that's stuff people need to work out with their physician. That's not like, hey, you should take blah blah blah. Uh, uh, no, I got to get you to look at my numbers after. I don't well, know. I'll be happy to. <laughs> so, all right. So we feel good. You feel good? No, good. I feel horrible. What do you? Well, what can I do? This stuff makes me just so upset. So upset because I, I, because I, my intent was to do good, and when people started going, Ugh, it makes me feel terrible. Well, I mean, I think that you know when they, hung... I, hate, I hate being defensive. I don't like to defend myself. No, I know, but that. but I think that when they hung the deaths of those people on you, the suicides and the you know from the uh, the rehab show and all that, I don't know that people really understand the depth of uh, of of the illness and that you know I I think that was just a predatory press looking to hang you up. It's not. It's it's not fun to hear the successes. My my wife wants to put together a web page that gives commentary for each of the people we treated about how their how their experience was like. But for this them. is also tricky around the issue of anonymity as well. Uh, well, sort of, that's a whole. Bob and I spent lots of time talking about that. We we actually studied the eleventh tradition very carefully to try to understand how we raise awareness, help people understand what this thing is without violating tradition, well, and, without with keeping AA out of it. We never said that. We never used that word. I know. I we, know. We even it's... at first, by the way, we never used the word steps. And then one of the biggest criticisms we got was, "Where's the step work? Don't you do step work?" <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. Can't. Yeah. yeah so. It's very tricky. And you know, and then when you talk publicly about it, you know, you do open yourself. Like I've gotten you know some backlash, but not much from people who are like, "There's other other ways other than AA." Oh. You know what? Well, yeah, maybe there is. There's plenty of other ways. You yeah. Know, whatever you're gonna do. Whatever I you just, gotta do. I just do what I what what I see, I see exciting recoveries and flourishing lives restored. That's I want to be. That's I, what I originally got into it. I wanted to be a part of that. Look, I took your fucking narcissist test. Oh yeah, you got that. How'd you do? I did better than I thought. 14, but, 16? 14. Yeah, that's where the co's end up. And yeah, but you know, in, in light of that, yeah. Uh, it was it was surprising to me, but but it makes sense in light of that that the only one that was high was superiority. Nice, we are superior. It's good. Uh-huh. Maybe, sometimes cigar is just a good smoke. Uh-huh. Maybe you are superior. Uh, maybe I'm what superior. I don't know. If, if what's interesting is if you had taken it back when you were using, exactly, you would have been. Whoosh, way That's up. what I knew. Yeah. When I was looking at these questions, I'm like, "Why well, used to be like that? Yeah. I'm really not. I can't say that I am anymore. Right. And that's, that that's that wonderful. was. That was the that was my blowing because that is exactly what I thought. It's like all these answers, like I used to be like that, mm-hmm. and I'm not anymore. And it would none of it would have happened without recovery. And that, like, so, I definitely noticed that. Yeah, 
and I definitely see the change in people. You know, I I know like I, you know, if I'm in a meeting and someone's telling their story, that moment where the hand of, H, of AA is there, I'll fucking get choked up no matter what. Mm-hmm. I get choked up transitions in people's lives like that all the time. And when they sit in here and tell me their story, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just sort of like uh, because people can change. I mean, there's some things that you can't change, but you can't act differently. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard, and people are very glib about change. It's profound. It it's is changing who we are because there are some people that are like people don't change. Some things fundamentally they may not, but they can certainly make different decisions for themselves cognitively and get used to that. And that will change you. That's right. Yeah, you will change it, it, whether you change from the outside in or the inside out. It 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 really is what we should be doing here, right? Right. We should be helping each other out. We should be serving one another. We, right. We should be. That's right. Re- when people talk about leading, a, people tricky, don't talk about man. good lives anymore. Yeah. How do you lead a good life? Yeah. No one ever talks about that anymore. Who the hell knows what it is? It's being with other people for sure. I know. I know. And I, you know, and, and I don't do enough of that. Bullshit. Well, I mean, here I do it, but like at night, I'm like, what am I going to do? I go to the comedy club. I know those guys. <laughs> You know, it's one thing we didn't talk about is where spirituality and religion, all this stuff fits in with Let's all this. Because that's where people freak I'm out. You out. That's where people freak out. Here's my take. That's on where Doug Stanhope it. goes insane. Because well, here's where I uh, here's my stand. Go ahead. My stand on it is is like you don't need a god to have faith. And, Correct. And, and and totally agree. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is that you know to characterize AA as some sort of religious cult is peculiar because there's never there's no bigger room full of fucking rebels and fucking uh, you know a, people who will just like want to fuck god at every turn yeah. than that. Yeah. Now the only the, the 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 big thing that you know you realize it's 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 the idea of surrender. This is this was the hardest part. Is that, that's where people get hung up. It's oh, like yeah. you're powerless. That's bullshit. Yeah. You're missing the point. Yes. The point is is that well, however you're going to take that leap of faith that will enable you to know in your heart that most things you have no control over. Yes. Most, almost everything. Yes. 99%. You have control about what you're putting in your mouth when you're sitting at dinner. And the scary part is you, when you're an addict, you would also don't have control over a lot of what you're impulsively and wanting and willing That's and wishing. That's right. You can't, you can't thoughts. Tr- you can't even trust your thinking. Can't trust your instincts. Yeah. Because they're at fucked. This, but at that point. Right, at, at that point. point. But, yeah. that, but that's the misconception, that powerlessness is somehow giving up. It's really okay. just acknowledging so, right. control. So yeah. I tell people, if I'm talking in recovery, yeah. I say, like, don't fucking worry about the higher power right now. Yeah. You might not have to worry about it ever. You just have to know that it's not you yeah. and that faith is possible. Yep. That's it. Yeah. And, and some people need a more elaborate concept. And, and for them, get, fantastic. Go as far as they want with it. Of your understanding. Of their understanding. But here's, here's how I understand it. Is that in order for people, addicts control everything. And in order for them to experience powerlessness, they have to let go of control. And in order for humans to let go of control, they have to have faith that things aren't going to fall apart not or the know. world's not going to come off its axis. That's right. I, I have patients saying things like, I'm so, I felt like I was carrying the whole world on my show. I, I'm, I'm surprised the world didn't end when I let go, when I didn't have control. They, they literally believe stuff like that in there emotionally. So it's just the faith that things will be okay. Yeah, you can have faith in people. You can have faith it, in just, the, whatever. The, the, power, the, the laws of physics. Whatever Laws you want. of physics. Whatever that things want. will continue to be the same as they've always been in physics. That's all. At that's least good for enough. the next 10 minutes. That, that's, that's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> and, but here's the thing with powerlessness, though, yeah. is that that many addicts, particularly significant addicts, severe addicts, pe- people that I would see, people that need to see me, because there's there's spectrum, as we've talked about. Sure. You know? But if you're bad enough, you need to see me. You had trauma in childhood. And the common experience of trauma in childhood is, is profound powerlessness. And it's 
traumatizing to think about being powerless again. And that's one of the resistances. That's one of the, one of the, your disease doesn't want to have it either. Your disease wants to keep in control, but also the trauma. And also sadly with that type of trauma, it's something that culturally and individually people want to repress. Well, forget culture individually. Your brain just does that. Your brain puts it way off in the back. Right. And, and you're thinking about it is, I've dealt with that. When in fact, what's happened is you actually have a part of your emotional brain that's literally diswired, unwired from the rest of your to system. you. Because it's overwhelming. Right. But it's still there. Right. And it's embedded in your body now. It's interesting. And it will continue to be a source of symptoms until you rewire back into that piece. Right. But see that- And that, that only happens in an interpersonal context. And if you don't trust other people- you can never rewire it. That's right. And then and the enemies or the opposers of therapy, of recovery and all this yeah. are the people that say, look, you know, what we just talked about is is promoting victimhood. That no. you know that yeah, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the criticism yeah. is yeah. that 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 the therapy business and the recovery business is all about keeping people in a victim mode yeah. to continue or to dependent or yeah. needing other people. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like it's it's a little crazy because there's so much more nuance in that. Oh my god. And we yeah, know I mean, sure. the biology, we know look, what's needed. Look, but the and, but the other side of that is it's like, oh, if you're like fuck that, you know, it's all willpower, it's like I'm not a victim. Yeah. That the possibilities for you pushing that down the line genetically or behaviorally into generations is massive. massive yeah terrible all right so now do we feel better i do feel better all right it's great talking to you you too okay see that was good that was good see dr drew a guy with opinions but a guy and a doctor and he helped me out and no i haven't gone to get my thyroid checked yet and i got to write that down completely forgot about it like does that change your opinion about dr drew i i enjoyed him i thought he was I thought he was forthright, stand-up dude. But uh, what do we got going now? Did I mention WTFPod.com? Do I? Am I playing guitar? Let's do some electric. Let's play some electric guitar. This is not. Um, I don't even know who listens to this at this point. Like at this point, like are people out? Are they off? Did they turn it off? Oh my god, I have a hard time breathing. The uh, the sh- writing of the show is going well. Ooh, how loud is that for you guys, huh? This is a uh, Stratocaster. Oh, <laughs> 